Well, if you have a Bible, let me encourage you to open it up to the book of Proverbs. We are going to be all over the place in the book of Proverbs, so I can't even give you a starting point. Go to Proverbs 1. We'll just start somewhere around there. But it's uh, good to be back. We had uh, two weeks away at Camp Spofford um, up in New Hampshire. Um, and I had the opportunity to, after we do our normal vacation week that we do there every year, uh, to stay on and be the speaker for the week following. And um, just have an opportunity to encourage and equip the saints up there from many different churches around the country uh, and just preach six times over the course of the week. Um, but it was a little bit of a mixed bag for our family. Uh, the first week, everything went great. And then the second week, um, our twins started getting a little bit sick. Uh, Brinley, our daughter, uh, also started to get sick. So we were three out of four down for the count. Caden um, was like the strong survivor. And so um, we had flown in Rochelle's mother uh, to kind of come and help us up there. And by Tuesday of that second week, they decided, you know, it would probably just be best to come home, regroup, see a doctor. And um, took the twins into the doctor. Uh, they had said that Lauren, um, it, that doesn't look great, sound great, recommend that she go down to Valley. And uh, she tested positive for RSV virus, um, and then they admitted her. Uh, some of the oxygen levels were not where they wanted it to be, and so she was actually in from Wednesday afternoon until last night. By God's grace, she was able to come home, and um, just hoping that she continues to be on the mend and strengthened from that. Um, and uh, just appreciate all your prayers and uh, people reaching out in the interim. But um, also, thank you for the last two weeks for one of our elders, Andy Steen, for preaching. And then last week, uh, Jim Lloyd, the area Young Life Director, um, stepping in and fil filling in the pulpit faithfully. Um, and this morning, we're going to go back to our summer series, and we're going to be back in the book of Proverbs. And this, uh, if you're kind of just joining us in the last few weeks, this, this series is looking at uh, the way of wisdom, a, a book that is giving us the way of wisdom. And knowing that, as I was kind of praying about what, what we preach about this summer, I really landed on this series because how often when I pray for the members of Grace Church and our staff gathers every Tuesday to pray for those connection cards that you fill out on Sunday mornings, how often we find ourselves saying, Lord, give them wisdom in this situation because obedience is not clear. There's a lot in life where it's very clear what we ought to do to obey or not obey, but there's a lot of areas of life that are kind of gray areas. Where should we do? I, I think, it, um, or what should we do? And I think it, when we started this series, it was the Gastons that are moving to Dallas, and I kind of use that as an illustration, like, should I move my family to Dallas? Like, that's not an obedience issue for a believer. It's a wisdom issue. Now for John and Rachel, making the decision to go down to Charlotte, and then the fact that it had to happen so fast, because people in the South start school in, like, the middle of the summer, and so they know they got to get Jack down there and situated before kindergarten starts, and so, like, where is the wisdom in all these things where obedience isn't clear? And so we kind of laid out that first week. What's the way of wisdom? What is it? Why do we need it? How do we get it? And then from there, each week, I'm just taking basically hot topics from Proverbs. Uh, topics that Proverbs talks much about and addresses. And we talked about the wisdom in our work and the wisdom in our planning. And this morning, we're going to talk about the wisdom in our words. The average amount of words spoken in a day, this is actually a harder number to get than you'd think, because there's a lot of different studies of how many words do we say every single day. Um, and I think it's gone down in a sense because we're talking less, typing more in, in a lot of ways. But if you ever talk about the words you say and the words you type, uh, generally a number out there is about 10,000 words a day. About 10,000 words a day that we say, um, maybe 500 to 700 they say are meaningful words. I don't know how they decide what word is meaningful. Um, but if you were to just take that number, 10,000 words a day, and a, let's just talk about a lifetime, let's talk about age 10 to age 75, you will speak 237.3 million words in your lifetime. 
And for all the attention we put on things in the Christian life, things like big decisions, like whether to move my family, things about workplaces and relationships and politics and advocacy and sexuality, all these kind of big topics in Christianity, it's surprising how little emphasis gets put on something so common like what do we say every single day? And I'll add, how do we say it? I just think this is part of our culture in general, but we tend to focus on the exceptional things and neglect the normal, don't we? But isn't 95% of our life just in the normal? And the Bible, I think, shows us that our normal will expose more about us than our exceptional life circumstances. George Herbert, a famous poet within the Church of England in the 17th century, has a great little quote. He says, Good words are worth much and cost little. You see, wisdom with your words is not just based on your demographic. It's not based on how much money you make or how much money's in the bank right now. It doesn't matter what happened last week or what's going to happen this upcoming week. We all have the same currency available to us with our words. And words can build up and words can tear down. And words can be used to convey both our deepest affections and our most bitter hatred. Words can be genuine. Words can be propaganda. Words can be true. Words can be false. And if I were to call somebody up randomly, and I won't, I never do, I always like threaten that and I never do, um, and just say, man, some of the most joyful moments you've had in life is generally when somebody just said something to you that made your heart sore. And conversely, some of the most horrible memories you have is that something that somebody said to you at some point. These are the power of words. And so Proverbs, a book about wisdom, cares a lot about what we say because God cares about our words. And so my aim for us this morning as we dig into God's word and we kind of look over all the Proverbs, all it has to say about it is that we, we would get beyond this kind of just children's lesson of say to others what you want said to you. Man, that's true, but we got to go deeper than that. And dig into the wisdom of words, knowing that if we are going to claim to be God's people, what we say should single us out from the rest of the world every single day, or what we don't say. And we need wisdom. So the the way we're going to go about this is we're going to just kind of look at different sections. We're going to look at words from God, um, words to self, words to others, words about others, and then finish with words to God. And I would just say this, as I've done my study throughout Proverbs, like every topic, I kind of just do my initial study. And it's generally been about three to four pages of single space, just typed notes. When I did my study on words, it was six page, double any other topic in the book of Proverbs. This is the topic of Proverbs. It's normal. It's every day. And we need to dial in into it. It cares a lot about what we say. So, number one, words from God. Wisdom in speaking, we all want to be wise in speaking, it begins with good listening. Knowing that what we say will always be shaped by what we allow ourselves to hear. Which is why in the first several chapters of Proverbs, Solomon is literally saying this on repeat. Think about this, if you're in Proverbs chapter 1, just follow me, I'm going to go very quickly here, so you probably won't follow me. But the whole point of this book is chapter 1 verse 2, to understand words of insight. Verse 5, let the wise hear and increase in learning. Verse 23, behold, I will make my words known to you. Chapter 2, verse 1, my son, receive my words. Chapter 4, verse 4, let your heart hold fast to my words. Verse 5, do not turn away from the words of my mouth. You get into the extended introduction in chapter 8, and there's this woman personified, Lady Wisdom. 
and all the words of my mouth are righteous, she says. And then you get contrasted with Lady Folly in chapter 9. And those two people, wisdom and folly, is carried all throughout Proverbs. Lady Folly in chapter 9, she is loud. She knows nothing. And she has empty words. Wisdom and speaking begins with good listening. Before we're concerned with the words we say, we learn from the words we hear. And the words we need most are the words of God found in the Word of God, in the Holy Scriptures. This is why every single time somebody steps up here into the pulpit, they're going to ask you to open up their Bible. And if they do not ask you to open their Bible, they should not be back, me included. So, so the pathway seems kind of clear on paper. If we listen well, we will speak well. But, but, but the problem that I think we all face, and we'd all be willing to admit if we're honest, is that we have a natural bent against listening. We have a natural bent towards talking, but not towards listening. And when our hearts fail to hear the word, then we lack the control of the tongue that we need. And the fruit of a sinful nature that is hardened against God's word that we all fall into on different levels is gossip and slander and deception and lying and flattery and perverse speech. And Proverbs tells us why is this the case. Why is this the case? The underlying problem all throughout the book of Proverbs is in Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man, look, listens to advice. When we are wise in our own eyes, we are not teachable. Because we don't need to listen because we know it all. And we all suffer from that. I think one of the worst qualities we can all embody, and it's different in different topics, one of the worst qualities we can embody is not being teachable. Is having this thought of, oh, I don't need to know anything about that. Oh, I, I know that. And, and what that leads to is just this hardiness and not listening, which then flows through to our speaking. Um, let me give you an illustration. So uh, we're in the dog days of summer. If you're a baseball fan, you love August because there's a lot of Yankees and a lot of Mets. I went away on vacation. The Mets were like the worst team in the league. I come back from vacation, they're like in the playoffs, <laughs> all right? And that's not really a good thing, all right? We're Yankee fans here at Grace Church, all right? We will cover that at the membership class after the service. But the Yankees have a shortstop. His name is Didi Gregorius. And the Yankees traded for him a few years ago to be the replacement of this man named Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter. I mean, you may have heard of him. But before he came to the Yankees, Didi was this kind of below-average hitter, and then he had a really slow start when he joined the team. And by this time, I just read a book on the Yankees when I was on vacation, by the way. This is why I'm talking about this. Uh, the Yankees had hired an analytics department and had all this advanced staff and, uh, stats and metrics to provide their players to help them out. And so these analytics department, which is generally smart, Ivy League guys with no actual baseball experience, but who had all this data on every player... And so they tried to call DD in and show him the screen and say, hey, this is how guys are pitching to you. They're using advanced metrics. Here's how we want to show you. Here's what you need to do if you want to improve your hitting. And DD refused to listen at first. He wasn't teachable at first. And, and, and I think we can resonate with his reasoning. He goes, I'm the professional baseball player. You're a nerd from Harvard. I'm the shortstop for the Yankees, thank you very much. And he just was not willing to learn about all these new stats. But then eventually he kept failing and kept struggling. 
And he had to begin to listen, and it turned him around. Like he accredits that, this kind of help from this analytics department to improve his hitting, where now he's been one of the most consistent and best players on the Yankees for a few years. But he was humbled. He had to realize he had to be teachable. He had to listen for him to be effective. And our biggest problem, regardless of what issue we want to talk about, is that we tend to be wise in our own eyes. And it closes us off from hearing. Um, Proverbs 10 hits on this on various angles. Again, we're kind of going rapid fire this morning. Uh, Proverbs 10, verses, verse 8. The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. Verse 17 of chapter 10. Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. It's not even just going to affect you. It's not just going to affect others in our lives. Verse 19, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. We need grace to have the strength to be silent. To hear the word of God and consider his words. And it's only by grace that we can begin to understand the gospel, that we cannot do anything to save ourselves. The gospel, the words of good news, that our sin is far more destructive than we would ever realize. And yet we are far more loved by God than we could ever imagine. It's the good news. And as you read the Bible, you will see that the overarching story, and what I try and say often here, is that this Bible is not just a guidebook on how to do well at life. It's not just this ultimate checklist. If you do enough of these things and not enough of those things, that then you'll be good in the end. But the whole Bible is a single story that points to one person. His name is Jesus. The one person who truly is a good person. And the Bible kind of shows how this connects with his word. When in John chapter 1, Jesus is introduced as what? The word made flesh. The personified word of God. And, and the fulfillment of every promise up until that point in the Old Testament, is points to and is found in Jesus. And then you get to 1 Peter 2, 22, and Peter says this about Jesus. Listen carefully. Quote, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. The gravity of that verse never hit me until studying for this sermon. That when Peter is making this big statement, this really important doctrinal statement that Jesus was perfect and without sin. The one example he gives to support that claim is that no deceit was ever found in his mouth. Why would he choose that one? Of all the qualities of Jesus' sinlessness, why that? I think it's because that's the most impressive part about not sinning. That that man lived to be over 30 years old and not once, not once did he say an errant word. Are you kidding me? I can't go 30 minutes without saying an errant word if I'm talking too much. The man just went 30 years, and not once was deceit found in his mouth. This is your Jesus. And this Jesus, this word of God, was given to us by the Father, who came and died on the cross on our behalf, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then salvation occurs when we believe in the word of God and we respond with words 
Paul tells us in Romans 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We hear and then we speak. This is how we are saved. This is how then we grow in wisdom in our words. You see, good speaking begins with good listening. And good listening begins with words from God. Next, we see words to self. Uh, Paul Tripp, he's a, he's a pastor. He's almost like a pastor's pastor. Really just a, just a um, spirit about him that just encourages and almost like a psychology for other pastors. He wrote this. He's got a famous quote. He says, quote, No one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. You are an unending conversation with yourself. So we all talk to ourselves, some of us like me, audibly, some of you in your own mind and heart. The question is, what do you say? When it's just you, what do you say to yourself? How wholesome, how healthy is the conversation you have with yourself every single day? There's a couple ways this could go really badly. Um, one is to be puffed up by our own words where we think of ourselves more highly than we ought to, where we tell ourselves, well, we're good, man, like, we don't, we don't really need forgiveness. I'm, I'm not a bad person. All this talk of sin, man, you talk about sin a lot, Pastor. That's not me. Sure, there's a few mistakes here and there I make, but ultimately I'm better than average. In the words of our greeter, Brian Pringle, I'm a strong B+. Plus. All right, I'm a strong B+. Plus. I mean, you know, maybe not being A, but I'm, I'm better than average. That's one way that this can go real awry. We just kind of let ourselves off the hook a lot. The other way it could go badly, and I think happens more often than we realize to people in our own lives and, and even in ourselves, is that we condemn ourselves more than anybody. We are harshest with ourselves. And our self-esteem is so low that we are so redeemable. We've done things that are so grotesque and so wrong that it leads to this kind of emotional and then maybe even physical self-harm. Because we think we're below everybody, and we're actually not B+. We're worse than everybody around us. But in either case, whether the words to self or lead to self-righteousness or to self-condemnation, we are negatively impacted by our words to ourselves. Proverbs 12, 13, and 14 says, an evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous escapes from trouble. From the fruit of his mouth, a man is satisfied with good, and the work of a man's hand comes back to him. What's that, what that is saying is that our words have an impact, and we all can know that, but most of all, they have an impact on ourselves. So when Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, he means our words are ultimately a picture of our hearts. But also, our words then have an impact on our hearts. It's a constant two-way street. Our, our words reveal our hearts, and our words shape our hearts. And it's why it is so true that people with harsh speech expose it to be an overflow of self-hate. And it's a deeply rooted insecurity that leads to language that is harsh or slanderous or full of gossip, ultimately because they can't stand themselves. Ray Ortland, a pastor down in Nashville, 
um, he put a tweet out in June that I'd screenshotted immediately because my heart started beating faster when I read it because it was so true. I felt like it was just undressing me. Listen to this. I'm going to quote Twitter. <laughs> Listen close. After we mistreat someone, watch what happens inside. We go into turbo mode finding more and more faults in that person. Why? We're scrambling like crazy to change the subject in our consciousness from our guilt to our nobility. Our exalted self-image must not suffer loss. When we speak badly about someone or treat someone badly, we start condemning them in our mind even more to justify what we just said. And it is scary how true that is. And it's wicked. And this is the danger of words to self that destroy. So how do we redeem it? We preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. One person said it this way, we need to preach to ourselves, otherwise we'll end up listening to ourselves. And we're reminded when we can preach to ourselves every single day, not just on Sunday from somebody else, but we can be trained in our minds to just preach the gospel to ourselves every day, we are reminded that while we were at our worst, Christ came and died for us. On our worst day, think about your most shame-filled day you can remember in your life. That's the day that Jesus looked upon you and said, I'll take that. I want that. I'll die for that. And to know, again, that our sin is far worse than we could ever think and that we are more loved and cherished by God than we could ever imagine. That the old has passed away and the new has come and there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And we can freely confess and repent of the sin that remains in us. We don't have to fool ourselves into thinking it's not there. And yet, acknowledging that is not a form of self-hatred because we are renewed through repentance. Repentance is a good thing every single day because we're renewed through that. We're restored in that. And God grows us and his spirit testifies to our spirit that while we still sin, God paid for that. These are the words that lead to a healthy heart. And it's from this renewed heart that the mouth speaks. We get words from God, which leads to words to self which leads to number three, words to others. Um, this could be a series in and of itself, words to others. Maybe some summer I'll just do that, words to others, because there's so much in Proverbs that informs and teaches us on how to speak to other people. And honestly, it kills me that I can't do a deep dive on each one. So these are going to be just three kind of rapid-fire principles from Proverbs on how we should speak to others. And it's going to be a little 30,000-foot you know, feet view, and the challenge to you, church, is to take these and really apply this to your life. Understand, what's this going to mean for you? First principle and words to others, be slow to speak. Proverbs is constantly warning against impulsive speech. Let me just share a few. Proverbs 13, 3, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Proverbs 14, 17, a man of quick temper acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices is hated. Proverbs 21, 23, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. James will pick up this, I think, better than anybody in the New Testament when he will say in his epistle, a very well-known verse, chapter 1, verse 19, he says, know this, my beloved brothers, 
Let every person be quick to hear and what? Slow to speak. A simple elementary principle that Christians should practice is to think before you speak. Especially, not only in, but especially in emotional contentious situations. I've generally learned that it is safe to assume that I should never say what first comes to my mind. And in our, uh, in our time, which is different from Solomon's time, we need to add, you should think before you type. And we get emails and we get texts that are all on social media. Just think before you hit send. Like this one, isn't it killing our discourse in our country? Like, isn't it just killing us that we're just, we're just rapid fire and you have 24-hour news cycles on the radio and on TV? We just always need content. And maybe this isn't wise. Maybe it's not true. But we need the clicks, man. We need the ratings. We need to get paid. And it's killing our discourse. And hear me, Christians are not exempt from it. Sometimes we're the worst perpetrators of it. To take the extra moment to consider, is what I'm about to say wise? Is it true? Take the extra few minutes to respond to that text. Take an extra night to respond to the email. It will be there in the morning. And if you need an immediate response to just say, hey, you know what, I need some time to think about this, and I'll get back to you tomorrow. Like, maybe we should be sending that email more often than we think. Because like we tell our kids, words are like toothpaste, aren't they? Once they come out, they're not going back in. And it's not just true for contentious situations. This also can be true in just our normal discussion. Uh, let me just share this. You know what my most regrettable words are often spoken? My most regrettable words are often spoken when I'm trying to be funny. <laughs> Seriously. I have an opportunity, I think, to get somebody to laugh. And it's kind of an off-the-cuff opportunity of humor, and I'm not filtering. What am I about to say right now? And, and in that moment, just in the name of wanting to be seen as somebody who's funny or wanting somebody that gets a laugh, I'll say something that is dumb or just straight-out mean and sarcastic. And if I thought about it for two seconds before my brain kind of went ahead and say it, maybe I would be like, oh, I went after the fact, like, that was just really dumb. Like, church, there's a reason why I full manuscript my sermons. You might not think I'm reading to you. I'm basically reading to you because I don't trust myself to talk off the cuff. I just don't trust myself to wing it on the fly. It will not end well for me. Maybe someday I'll get enough wisdom I won't have to do that. And we know also that when it comes to words, what we don't say can often be as effective of a witness of what we do say. That's number one. Number two, words to others. I got to go fast here. Seek to build up. Not only should Christians have an extra long filter with our words, but we should also be master encouragers of others. The church exists to glorify God by making disciples, by building up the body with various gifts. And the most common way we can build one another up is by our words to one another. Proverbs 12, 25. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Proverbs 25, 11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. This gets carried forward again in the New Testament all over the place. I think Paul puts it most clearly in Ephesians 4, 29, when he says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only as such is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. 
it should be on our mind daily because we have an unlimited amount of way to communicate with one, one another, and certainly weekly at our gatherings, that there can be hundreds of small encouragements being spoken amongst this church every Sunday morning that are not from the stage, but are just member to member. Hundreds of small conversations where we are encouraging one another. You know why we need? Because we need it. Because God designed the perseverance of our faith to happen through encouragement, Hebrews 10, 25, and for it to come through the means of grace of church community to encourage one another as the day draws near. Because life is hard. Setbacks are common, man. Mental illness and physical illness is everywhere. Relational strife, man. Most of us are struggling on any given Sunday, amen? And we need encouragement, not just from ourselves, but from outside of ourselves, and so you might be thinking, okay, I, I think I get it. We should encourage each other. But what do I say? What do I say to someone? How do I do it? In, in praying about this, I, I think the Spirit just put on my mind that a great grid for encouraging another person is the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Wherever you see a fruit embodied by somebody, call it out. Encourage them in it. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Here's a good reason just to memorize it for this reason. When you see things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, when you see that embodied by someone, encourage them in that. Affirm the fruit. Don't assume that they know they're doing it. We need to be affirmed in these things. Third principle of speaking to others, speak truth in love. This phrase comes from Paul in Ephesians, but it's, I think, a principle common in Proverbs couple verses here. Proverbs 12, 17. Whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. Proverbs 9, 8. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Listen, reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will still be wiser. Just as we're called to speak up in encouraging others, we are also called to speak up when we see others doing harmful things to themselves or to others. And this is a tough one today. We're in 2019. The don't judge mantra is everywhere. You can't say anyone to anybody about anything without being called judgmental or a bigot. But the Bible is clear that we are to speak truth even when it hurts. And there's a couple things we need to be clear on here. Uh, the Bible telling you to speak the truth in love is not an excuse to be a jerk, right? So how you say something is just as important as what you say. So we can't be plowing one another over because they're doing something harmful and then just go, hey, I'm just, I'm just doing what Paul told me to do in Ephesians, just speaking the truth in love, brother. No, you're being a jerk. And, and then also, no one should see themselves as the speak truth in love police, you know what I mean? where you can be looking for people to correct. Like, you just want to call something out. Like, again, that's not speaking the truth in love. That's being contentious, and that's sin. And I think a general principle we should have as we look at ourselves is that if our default desire is to build one another up in encouragement, and we're doing that often, then we gain the credibility to speak the truth in love at times where it's needed. And conversely, if the only time someone is hearing from you are the times where you're rebuking them or criticizing them, like you will get tuned out, and rightfully so. So, so when should we speak the truth in love? Again, Galatians 5 gives us the grid. There is the good fruit in Galatians 5. 
that we should encourage when we see it, but we should also admonish one another when we see the bad fruit. What's the bad fruit? Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. We don't exhort people based on our preferences, what we want them to do or how we want them to act, but on the things the Bible is clear about. And how we do it is just as important as what we say. Matthew 18 says, if a brother sins against you, approach them one-on-one first. Don't do it in a group. Don't wait for the next big meeting. Don't do it on social media in the comment section. For the love of Jesus, do not do it in the comment section on social media. Don't try to expose them in front of others. Approach them personally. And if they don't listen to you, then take somebody else with you. And if they still don't listen to you, then bring it before the elders. And if they still don't listen to you, then the elders are charged to bring it before the church. But this is the pathway. A truth in love rebuke needs to be from the right person, giving the right word in the right way at the right time. So much more we could do there, but we got to go on. Uh, That's words to others. Now, words about others. Proverbs is not only concerned about growing us in wisdom when it comes to talking to others, but talking about others. Proverbs 16, 28. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. Proverbs 20, 19. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. Gossip is the utmost sign of insecurity. When we gossip about others, we seek to make ourselves look good by dwelling on somebody else's failure. And it grows a love for drama and almost a desire to see others fail or struggle or be pulled down so we can go talk about it. And the hidden desire behind all gossip that we can all be guilty of is to make ourselves look good in its place. And it's one of those acceptable sins, isn't it? It's the ones that we allow ourselves to indulge in but it's just as addictive as any other sin we could be in. And it separates us from God and it reveals the darkest areas of our hearts. John Calvin said, It is a sign of a perverse and treacherous disposition to wound the the good name of another when he has no opportunity to defend himself. A good principle, don't talk about someone that you would not say to them if they're standing right in front of you. You learned that when you were five. And we all need to still be practicing this. And when we do speak about failures of others to other people, it should be with an eye of thinking towards and praying with another believer of how we can speak the truth to this person in love. How can we build them up? How can we give them an opportunity to repent and not just for the sake of entertainment? And if we're in a situation where someone is spreading gossip or slander to us, because I'll just say this very personally, I don't think... I'm definitely guilty of gossip. I don't think it's a huge struggle that I have. And you might look at me and be like, ah, you think that. But, um, I, I, but I'll tell you what I'm much more, have much more of a struggle with, is that when other people, other people are gossiping, I just don't really say anything about it. I kind of just stand there and kind of play along by maybe not actually saying it, but I'm just there. And I think the Bible says if you're in this situation, you should remove yourself from it because being silent is just not good enough. Or speak up that maybe they should not be talking that way. And here's the thing that will happen. You will remove yourself and then they'll start gossiping about you. Because whoever gossips to you will gossip about you. Wisdom is not knowing just how to speak to others, but how to speak about others. And more times than not, again, what we don't say will be the bigger witness. 
All right, finally, we've seen words from God, words to self, words to others, words about others, and finally, words to God. I wanted to bracket this sermon from words from God and words to God that shows this relationship that we have an opportunity to have with the Lord, a personal relationship. Because the most stunning fact in the universe is that God, who created the moon and the stars and the heavens, revealed himself to us by his word, his spoken word, his written word, and then the embodied word of Jesus Christ. And then we have the opportunity in a relationship, like any relationship you have in this world, to cultivate that and to grow it with an ongoing dialogue that we hear from God in his written word, and then we speak to God by the Spirit empowered within us. We bring our word to him. Proverbs 15, 29, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. God sovereignly works through the prayers of his people, our words to him. And hear me, you're going to speak 237.3 million words in your life. And when you get to the end, you're going to be able to look back and see that the most valuable, life-changing words you will say are the ones you say in private that no one else hears that you say to your father. Words matter. Let's pray. Father, give us the grace to see this this morning, Lord, to see how your word is reaching out to us, Lord, that is pleading with us to understand what it says, the power of words, Lord, that they can save and destroy, they can build up and tear down, that words cost much, are worth much and cost little. Father, I pray you give us the grace to understand that our words will impact our heart and then they will reveal our heart, Lord. And I pray that our hearts will reveal men and women who are not perfect, but are seen as perfect because of the work of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, allow us to step into that righteousness, Lord. Don't allow us to leave ourselves off the hook. Give us the grace and mercy and strength to build up others with our words, to speak healthily to ourselves and to others and about others, and let it be all for your glory. In the name of your son that we pray. Amen.